If you have your Bibles, hold them up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It changes lives, heals broken hearts, and saves man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Awesome. Now you should give a high five, but I'm way ahead of you, so there we go. Do it again. There you go. We're going to be in the book of Ruth, so if you want to turn there, you'll notice on the front of the bulletin, beginning next Sunday through the rest of the summer, we're going to do an exegetical study of the book of Colossians. Powerful book. A lot we can learn there. Tremendous insights. Uh, I was inspired by Mark Barrier's uh, time here with us. And so I thought, you know what? It's time to dig into a book and just really let that book say what it needs to say. So we're going to do that all, all through the summer. And uh, always remember that if you happen to be gone on a Sunday that we try to get all those sermons posted on our website, uh, rocchurch.org. And then over the sciences online features, click that. And it says listen to the sermon Click that, and there you go. And usually the outline is also posted PDF-wise, so you can look at the outline while you're listening to yours truly preach to you. And uh, I don't know if it's better to be live with me or online with me, one or the other. (laughs) But that is available. I want you to know that. Today I want us to just spend a moment or two talking about marriage. Building lasting relationships and why do some people walk away why do some walk away a man had been under a curse for 30 years he walked for miles over rugged terrain he climbed a mountain to find a guru who could free him when he got to the top of the mountain the guru asked why have you come and he said i come for you to remove a curse That was placed on me. And the guru said, I can remove the curse, but I must know the exact words that were used to put the curse on you. What were they? And the man answered, the words were, I pronounce you husband and wife. I thought I'd get more out of that one. We live in a throwaway world. Relationships, unfortunately, are no exception. In 1996, our country celebrated the fact that we are a throwaway nation related to relationships when a new monthly magazine called Divorce Magazine began to be published. The publisher suggested the magazine was guaranteed to succeed Because more than one million divorces occur each year in America. Right now, it's for every two marriages, one ends in divorce. Oklahoma ranked number two in the nation behind the number one divorce spot, Reno, Nevada. Welcome to Oklahoma. To be sure, commitment to relationships has diminished over time. But this is not something new. In our text, it tells the story of three women. And that 
they illustrate the ways that we tend to respond to domestic problems or crisis. And today I want us to look at one of the characters for sure. But turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. Genesis, Exodus, Ruth. Small book, right after Judges, right before 1 Samuel. And I want us to take a look at this story. Pick up with me. Uh, I was just going to hit and miss on a few verses, but I think it's important to read these first 15 verses together. Pick up at verse 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. And then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives, the name of one was Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. And then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law and she might, that she might return to the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. I'm at verse 8. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to the, her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant you uh, may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I, if I, said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for... It is harder for me to, than you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And when they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. I want us to look at Orpah's life. I want us to look at this little story. This is an interesting story. And I want us to see some incredible things that happened. I mean, you're, you're dealing with death. You're dealing with widowhood. You're dealing with uh, unhappiness. You're dealing with a, a bleak future. You've got to understand in the Jewish culture that if the husband dies, the woman then has nothing. Unless someone in the family, Elimelech's family would take Naomi in. She's nothing. She would have nothing. And so she says, God is punishing me. 
in, in, in a few words or not. So why does Ruth tell her to leave? Why does Ruth tell both of them to leave? It's an interesting question. She talked about remarriage, didn't she? Naomi. She talked about that. But then she says, but I'm too old. She talked about having more sons, and those sons then would become husbands to those daughter-in-laws because you see now that her husband was gone and now their husbands were gone now Naomi has to take care of those two unless she sends them back and that desire to remarry was strong but the problem with seeking happiness in Moab was that she had to then sacrifice existing relationships and responsibilities to go there. Just because it's not working out the way you thought it should work out doesn't give you the freedom or the right to walk away. Now, I'm probably going to step on a few toes today. I'm probably going to get you upset today. Take it up with this guy that wrote this book. All right? So why do so many have this attitude toward marriage, children, and other relationships that they can end them when they need to because I'm looking for happiness and I deserve to be happy? I want us to look at two or three things. Number one, walking away seems like an attractive option. Seems like an attractive option. Go with me to, uh, I closed my Bible too fast. Go with me back to uh, chapter 1. Let's look at verse 5. Then both Malin and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then jump over to verse 11. But Naomi said, return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Why should you go with me? Return. Compared to life and the life that she had been living, walking away seemed very attractive. On the surface, cutting her losses, and it was appealing because she believed that her needs could be met better elsewhere. Specifically, she, like so many today, had two reasons. Number one, the potential fulfillment of unmet expectations. Everyone enters relationships with ulterior motives and our ulter ulterior expectations. And when those emotional or physical needs go unmet, frustration develops and tension stresses the marriage. It's like the woman who marries the strong, silent type for security. And after the marriage, he remains the strong and silent type. And she wonders why he won't open up to her. Orpah had the same expectations from marriage as couples today do. Three of those expectations. Number one is marital bliss. Look in chapter 1 at verses 4 and 5. 
And they took for themselves the Moabite women as wives, the name of one orphan, the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years, and then, of course, those men died. But her expectation was marital bliss. She probably spent her entire married life nursing a sick husband. Those of you ladies that have been married to men that turned ill, were there ever thoughts of walking away? You don't have to say yes or no. Just let that mill around in you a little bit. You men that have been tending to your sick wives, have you ever thought about walking away? There's an expectation. And, and it probably didn't fit in Orpha's definition of a satisfying marriage to tend to this sick husband. Nobody enters a relationship expecting to give without receiving. Secondly, she was looking for maternal joy because most ancient cultures viewed children as the highest blessing. I don't know if that's the case today. But in the ancient cultures, children were a blessing, especially if you had a male child. Not that females weren't important, but they weren't nearly as important as male children. I admire parents who raise daughters. I was blessed to raise three boys. Henri. That's a good word. We'll stop there. But I am grateful for parents that can raise daughters. I have utmost admiration because raising daughters seems to be a tougher chore than raising sons. I didn't necessarily need any answers from anybody. But there's that Having children is one. And being a grandparent, all of you told me over the years, oh, wait till you're a grandkid. Oh, wait till you get grandkids. And I just thought, yeah, whatever. Yeah, just another mouth to feed. Here we go. Somebody who'll grow up and hate you too. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but I, we've got this granddaughter, and we got to babysit the other night. And man, it's awesome. <clears throat> we took her out, and we had spaghetti. Now, there's nobody that enjoys spaghetti more than a year and a half old. We handed her a spoon. Forget the spoon. We're in with hands. It's over her head. It's a, I wanted to eat like that myself, but Cindy got mad at me. You know, I was, now, that's what you... And when, we, and when we got into the car, Cindy said, Did you even clean her up? I said, I think so. Well, there was still stuff all over her face. I, I would try. But you know, there's something about children, isn't there? Some joy that comes in your life because of children. And that was Orpah's expectation. Marital bliss, maternal joy. And then thirdly, look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came about when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? There's that material security. material uh, Marital bliss, maternal joy, and Material security. And the fact that Naomi was so well known suggests that she and Elimelech were financially comfortable. 
And Orpah certainly knew that fact going into her marriage to Chilean. But when all the men died, back in verse 5, the widows would have been forced to sell their possessions just to survive. A life of poverty was not her expectation in marriage. But in the end, her relationship produced none of the anticipated benefits. Instead, she experienced one disappointment appointment after another. So the potential fulfillment of unmet expectations then leads us to the second reason, and that is the promise of excitement. The, prov- the promise of excitement in verse 9, it talks about her husband. Naomi meant that her daughters-in-law might find new husbands. Orpah saw this as a potential new beginning. Walking away from covenant relationships is attractive because it offers promises without problems. But that is the polar opposite of what is real. Those who abandon their God-ordained responsibilities experience many problems without any legitimate promise. I've talked to a number of couples over the years in ministry who just believe that something's better on the other side of the fence only to find out that it wasn't better at all. But the damage is done. The true testimony of the love and the forgiveness of God is when a couple who is, have, who is having a rift issue in their life can work through it and stay together. Even adultery. When that couple can work through that, that demonstrates the absolute forgiveness of God in each other's life. It's a total demonstration of that. Because folks, every day, you and I, live an adulterous life because of the sin that we participate in. Amen? It's true. But when we come to God, what does He say? Welcome home. Glad you're home. He has such a capacity to forgive. I don't know how He does that. But He does. And so because He does... I need to as well. So if I'm hurt, I need to forgive. If I'm maligned, I need to forgive. If somebody seeks forgiveness, give it to them. Grant it to them. Don't hold it over their head. Grant it to them. It's a release. It's awesome. The momentary excitement of freedom and responsibility can quickly change into full-fledged irresponsibility or monotonous predictability. Same old problems are still there, but now with compounding complications. Walking away seems also like an acceptable option. Naomi encourages Orpah. Let's take a look at verses 10 through 13. If I can read those again together. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb and 
that they may be your husbands. And you remember the rest of the other two verses. She says, would you wait till I have these boys and then they grow up and you can marry them? How old will you be? Naomi said it's okay to walk away from responsibility. Now, we don't need to be too hard on Naomi. For she was speaking through her own pain. It seems that love or compassion motivated Naomi. But the central issue remains, Orpah's exit was acceptable and even encouraged. Today we hear men and women justify leaving relationships because they will say, well, I'm just not happy. I deserve to be happy. Happiness depends on an inner relationship with God. It does not depend on the circumstances around us. That's tough. It's tough being married. It's tough being widowed. It's tough being alone. It's tough being divorced. It's tough being a single parent. But the bottom line is you have a relationship and a commitment to God that must be honored. That must be honored. And we must do our very best to honor the commitments we make to God. Because there will be a day of reckoning. There will be. We can bail you out. Financially, we can bail you out. Our country's bailing out everybody. There's a day of reckoning that will come with that. Amen? I'm telling you, there'll be a day of reckoning, folks. Just like there will be in your and my life. But if we're following the cross, and we're obedient to the cross, and it doesn't matter what happens to us. But, but preacher, what if they kill me? You gain. <laughs> you gain. You literally gain. Now, if you're wanting to check out right now, I understand you don't want to check out right this moment. But you've got to live as though you're leaving here today. We must live as though we're ready for heaven. Because he could come in the twinkling of an eye. If he was going to pronounce his coming, then we would all clean up before he got here. But he wants us to live a holy life so that when he comes, we won't be surprised. But rejoicing. We must remember that legality and morality are not always the same. Except in cases of abuse, death, and adultery, God sanctioned marriage till death do us part. Walking away seems like an attractive option. Walking away seems like an acceptable option. And then thirdly, walking away seems like an easy option. Take a look at verses 14 and 15. And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her, and then she said, Behold, your sister-in-laws are, are, have gone back to her people, and her gods return after your sister-in-law. She kept weeping before she was leaving. But Orpah walked away because she left open the possibility of leaving. Her tears testify against her. She embraced the I love you but attitude. Feeling without commitment is a shallow position many find themselves as they walk away. In the end, Orpah pictures those who decide to walk away to pursue happiness elsewhere. And while the record is silent 
in Scripture about the rest of her life. She probably didn't find happiness unless she learned the value of commitment. Now, if we were to keep reading, well, let's just do that. In verse 16, but Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death, parts you and me. And Naomi saw that she meant what she said, and she never brought it up again. Oh, there's times when we want to walk away. There's times when we want to quit on the commitments that we've made. When the explorer Cortez landed in Mexico with his 500 men, he did a very wise thing. He burned the ships. He burned the ships. His men realized that now they are committed. They are committed to stay and to succeed because there was absolutely no turning back. Families have to have that type of commitment. No holding back. No turning back. Marriage has become a sort of temporary thing. If it doesn't work out, I will just walk away. May I suggest to you that there is hope. May I suggest to you that there is tremendous promise and precious uh, uh, blessings if you make those relationships work. Are you going to always agree? Heavens, no. I never will forget when I asked one time about Brother Ralph and Dorothy's uh, wedding anniversary. I think it was the 50th, wasn't it, Brother Ralph, coming up, and I'd ask him, in service, I said, Dorothy, what was the secret? She said, well, he learned a long time ago just not to say much. <laughs> and that's probably the best advice we can give. Men, listen. Just listen. Don't say a whole lot. Because you won't be able to anyway. Just listen. That's what it's all about. Staying in it. Working through it. But in their 50 years of marriage, do you think there was any rifts that ever came between? Do you think there was any disagreements that ever came? Oh, yeah, there were. But the beauty and the power is when you work through those. And that's a testimony of the way Christ and us as the church are to respond to each other. We're to love each other in spite of whatever differences occur. And we're to stay the course of the commitments that we've made. Father, I ask you this morning to be very real in each of our hearts and very real in our relationships. Father, we need you today to be very, very close to us. Father, we live in a world that just says, you know, it's okay to pitch stuff away. It's okay to throw stuff away. God, you're, you're not in the business of throwing stuff away. You believe that every person has value. You believe that every person has potential. And Father, though we are being pruned, though we are struggling, though we are going through rough spots in our life, 
each of those build us toward perfection if, if we stay the course. So God, I pray that today, we in this room this morning will renew our relationship and our commitment to You. God, that's a word that most people don't want to deal with, that word commitment. But I'm praying today that we'll be committed to You, that we'll do what You've called us to do, that You, Father, will reign supreme in our lives, that it will be so obvious that You're the Master and Lord of our life. God, if there's somebody here that's having a struggle in their life, they are on the brink. They, Father, are in a relationship that's about to dissolve. I've seen it too many times to where the supernatural movement of your Holy Spirit can come into that relationship and heal it instantly. God, would you do that today in the life of that person that might be struggling here? And Father, there may be people in this room that are so slap happy in love. They don't know any different. And for them, we rejoice. And may they bleed that type of commitment and that type of joy and that type of love right over into how they feel about you and that relationship they've got with you. But God, if somebody's here and needs to respond to you, we give them this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Great song.